0: Conceivable, a surrogacy podcast with Nazca Fontes.
1: More people than ever are using surrogacy to build their families. As people look into surrogacy and learn more about becoming a surrogate, there are many myths and misconceptions about surrogacy. And honestly, there's not a lot of people that know about the process in detail. So one of our main goals as a program is to help people understand the truth about surrogacy, what it is and what it isn't, and along the way we'll share what the surrogate process looks like so that people can make an informed decision for their families, whether that's to become a surrogate or whether that's to build their family with the help of a surrogate. We've got this great supplemental podcast called What is a Surrogate? Joining on that podcast is surrogacy educator Ashley Helstern, Giovanna Atavallo, a birth and postpartum doula, Laura Fortna, a dual certified birth doula and Lamaze childbirth educator and Sarah Pemla, a three-time surrogate with conceivabilities. But finally, last but not least, we also have Kate Stuckmeyer, one of our intended parents and a conceivabilities matching expert. All professionals will join us to hear more about the surrogacy process, dispel myths, and educate anyone who's interested in surrogacy to learn more.
2: My name is Ashley Helstern. I am a surrogacy educator with Conceivabilities. I am very happy to be uh, here with some really amazing panelists. They are the experts in their own rights uh, and we have each of them for very specific reasons. That way you get a really nice broad look at surrogacy, both from the surrogate side or the GC side, as well as the intended parent side, as well as from the doula side. So Giovanna, I would love for you to start if you don't mind.
3: Sure. Um, Giovanna Otavalo, I am a birth and postpartum doula supporting families um, in the Chicagoland area for birth and postpartum support, as well as virtual support um, nationwide and overseas as well, um, which is a growing need um, with COVID times. Um, my
0: name is Laura Fortner. I am a dual-certified birth doula, a LaMaz um, credentialed uh, childbirth educator um, here in Dallas, Texas, and we serve... Um, My practice is called North Dallas Doula Associates, and we serve all of North Texas with board-certified lactation consultants, placenta encapsulation, postpartum doulas, and birth doulas. So we have done a ton of work with surrogate um, families, both on the um, intended parent side and the gestational carrier side.
2: Thank you, Laura. You are welcome. Sarah, you're up next. Hi, I'm
4: Sarah Pimlott. I have been a three-time surrogate. I am Kappa trained um, as a birth doula. I've also done training with spinning babies and um, some lactation support training. And I recently started working for Conceivabilities as a clinic coordinator. Um, And just happy to be a part of this panel and able to participate and get some insight from a couple
2: different areas. Thank you, Sarah. And last, but certainly not least,
5: Kate. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, My name is Kate Stuckmeyer and I was an intended parent with Conceivabilities and now I'm a surrogate matching expert with the company. I had a long fertility journey that started out with unexplained losses and DNC procedures, which resulted in in severe scarring of my uterus. Um, I underwent countless procedures to clear out the scar tissue Um, Since the losses were unexplained, my husband and I decided to turn to IVF uh, so the embryos could be tested. Um, I lost count along the way, but I think I did eight total egg retrievals, not including mock cycles or partial cycles because it just took a number of tries to find the right protocol for my body. So I did two transfers to myself, which failed, and I had one embryo left, which is when my husband and I signed on as intended parents with Conceivabilities. Um, After that, we were fortunately able to make two more embryos, and one of those embryos was the one that was transferred to our surrogate and resulted in our baby. Um, And so as for how I ended up working at Conceivabilities, I just knew from the beginning of my fertility journey that it was my calling to work in this field and help other intended parents in the way that I have been helped.
2: So we're going to talk a little bit about the basics of surrogacy. Uh, what is surrogacy? What surrogacy originally began? The science wasn't available, uh, so the woman that actually carried the uh, that carried the baby also used her own egg in the process. We now call that traditional surrogacy, and I would say it's pretty widely accepted today that we don't we do not do that anymore. We only do gestational carrying surrogacy, and what that is is the woman that is actually carrying uh, the baby. She not actually use her own egg in the process. So what happens is the intended parents undergo uh, an IVF process uh, and they actually create an embryo at that IVF clinic. And then that embryo would be transferred to the surrogate. So she has no genetic or legal connection to the baby whatsoever. Why does uh, someone need a surrogate? Well, there are many reasons. You'll actually see some of our panelists why they may have uh, needed a surrogate. It could be a number of reasons from infertility. One in eight women of reproductive age deal with infertility issues. Uh, We also have medical reasons like uh, cancer treatment, heart problems. It could be gay dads, you know, they're not able to do it because they don't have a uterus. So um, a multitude of reasons why somebody may need a surrogate. And then why is surrogacy the most successful fertility treatment? I think the thing that makes it so successful uh, is the fact that these women that, that are becoming surrogates they have had their own healthy pregnancies. Um, they are the women that like being pregnant. I mean, I often talk to these women, they're like, my body feels better being pregnant. I don't want any more kids in my own, but I like being pregnant. So um, these women want to do this. They want to be able to help another family in need. And that's fantastic that, you know, they're able to do this a really amazing thing for people that are not able to do it on their own. So it really is an amazing partnership. So let's talk about some of the requirements of surrogacy. Um, these are not the only requirements. You know there are some other things that we have to consider. There'll there be different steps along the way, medical records, different things that we'll be doing in the background. But I like to say the high level requirements really come down to three things: have they given birth before? So again, as I as I mentioned, that uh, the women that are coming in to Become a surrogate. We have to make sure not only for their sake, but for the baby's sake, that they're able to carry a baby full term and have an uncomplicated pregnancy. So sometimes people hear "uncomplicated" and they think, "Well, I've had a C-section. I don't, I don't qualify for this." That's not the case. Uh, you can actually have up to three C-sections and still qualify for this. So uh, think of uncomplicated as kind of some of those bigger, major factors uh, where potentially the mom was at risk or the baby was at risk. Those things would be. Um, potentially considered uncomplicated. If you're not sure, I always suggest finding out if you qualify and we'll have some steps at the end to show whether you qualify or not. uh, So that way they can make a decision for themselves going forward. Uh, One of the other factors is age. So I am actually happy to say within, I think it was actually this past year, we've raised the age limit has raised up to 43. So it's 21 to 43. Uh, You also have to be a US resident. So it's either US citizen or permanent resident because legal, legally wise, um, in order to get parentage rights, also this is a, a longer process. We have to make sure that they do have roots in the United States because we're working with IVF clinics within the United States as well. What are the most common surrogacy myths that, um, that
5: you have heard? The myth I hear the most is that the baby will be genetically related to the surrogate. Um, but the truth is that the surrogate is just growing the baby for the intended parents
2: that
3: is always a good one.
5: Uh, what about
2: you,
3: Giovanna? Um, I think the the one that you dispelled was about um, age, that a surrogate can only be, uh, you know, someone very young, under 30, um, and that's not the case.
2: Yeah, I do get that one a lot. Sarah, what about you? The myth that
4: I got or the question that I got when I was a surrogate three times most often was Won't you get attached to the baby? Will it be hard to give the baby up? Um, And I really just had to explain to people that it's a completely different arrangement than like an adoption. Explain that you're not genetically related to the child, and although like you, I feel like you do build a relationship with the family. There's no real like attachment in the same way that you're attached to your own children. It's more like you're getting excited for like a friend or a family member to have their kiddo like a niece or a nephew or a friend's kid kind of deal and um you really go into it with the intention of helping and um you go into it knowing that the baby's not genetically related to you and um that you're just helping get the baby here
2: (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) That's awesome it's yeah, a a, I get that one a lot actually whenever I'm talking to women that are you know asking about surrogacy am I going to get it attached that's a great one to address uh, and Laura what about you what, what myth have you heard
0: um I think the most common one that I have heard is that these women that are giving this gift are doing it for financial reasons
2: uh, um that's a big one yeah
0: doing it out of um, You know, their cup overflowing about them wanting to give back and them wanting to, um, you know, help another family who is not able to have children. So um, I've actually heard that quite a bit that, oh, how much do they get paid? And, you know, I would do that, too, if I could for all that money. So and I think that's so not true.
2: I'm so glad you addressed that one. They are compensated for it because they should be, because this is something that they have to make sure that they're taking care of their body and this baby. Uh, but it's certainly not, you know, the main reason they, they come here. We actually did a really fantastic market research study on surrogates. And we found out the main reason they apply is to bring joy, actually, was the the wording they use. So um, that's a very, a very good one to bring up. So thank you for that. So uh, we'll go on to the next one. So we kind of split this out into two different sections. So that we. could see both sides of the story so this is a a multiple question but what goes into the birth planning if you are supporting the intended parents what language should you consider avoiding in the journey and the birth so for this one um, i'm going to go to you first giovanna
3: yeah i think um and you brought it up earlier just the words to use to be really mindful of what is the language that Um, Both the GC and the IPs prefer um, some gestational carriers are fine being called the surrogate or the gestational carrier or just Susie. Mm -hmm. Um, And the intended parents should really be the ones that are addressed by their chosen um, nouns. Are they mom? Are they, you know, it could be mom and mama. It could be dad and daddy or whatever their preferred language is. I think that's super important. Um, and birth parent, birth mom, and like, that's a, that's a big one, um, that ultimately the intended parent is mom. I think that one's a a big one that can be triggering for some of the IPs in labor and delivery.
2: Yeah. Um, do you feel like you ever had to have additional conversation with them about their actual plan during the birthing process? Uh, as far as where what their place was, you know, in in that part, yes, um,
3: and how present they want it to be, and I think it also comes uh, back to the reason for going the IVF route. Um, in some instances, it it was a um, a very healthy choice, and they're super embracing of the birthing process, and so they are very comfortable being in the birthing room, um, and it's it's healing and it's connecting. And in some cases it's as a result of some trauma or some previous losses. So being in a birthing room can be really triggering for them and they may not be prepared to physically be be present and they prefer to be in a separate space and meet their child after delivery. So I think having a conversation about what makes them most at ease and how they want to be introduced to their child is important.
2: Yeah, That's a great point. Kate, did you have any other things from the intended parent side you'd like to add? Um,
5: Yeah, I guess from my perspective, you know, um, repeatedly saying baby bump or commenting on the bump can be triggering for an intended mother. I think a lot of intended moms who sought out surrogacy due to medical reasons feel like their bodies have betrayed them and that they are less than because they're unable to carry. And with social media and people showing off their baby bumps, it's just kind of a constant reminder that the intended mother wasn't able to carry herself. Thank you all for that. Uh, We're going to switch to the other
2: side of it now. Now we're going to talk about the GC surrogate side. So same question, what goes into the birth plan if you are supporting a surrogate? What language uh, should you consider avoiding in the journey and the birth? So this one, we're going to go to Laura first, if you don't mind addressing this one.
0: Sure. Um, you know, <clears throat> I, it's when we're doing a birth planning and talking about the delivery um, with a GC, um, you know, we want, I, for me, I want to get a feel of what the relationship is with the IPs. So we kind of know what the dynamic is, um, you know, how close are they. What do they, um, someone else mentioned, what kind of pronouns, et cetera, titles do they wanna use? Um, And just with the surrogate, or the GC, we are hyper-focused on her and her body, which is very different than a normal birth planning for you know, a client who's delivering their own child into the world where we're, we're encompassing what happens to the baby and choices you have in the baby. Um, this is just talking about her comfort level, things that she wants to avoid, the things that she wants to have, um, and then leaving the portion for the baby up to the IPs. Um, and as far as, you know, language, I think it's, you know, there's lots of things they clearly, um, at you know, we're not calling the mama, we're not calling the mom, um, we are addressing them, I always address by their name, um, you know, Denise, Jennifer, whatever the case may be, um, and are always um, making sure that I direct my questions um, to her as opposed to the medical team. And not at um, you know the IPs when we're talking about things that are happening to her body, and I think it's super helpful if we have, um, you know, if the IPs also have a doula that is there for them as well, so that we can all work as collaborate and work as a team, um, and everyone's kind of on the on the same page.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great distinction between the intended parents, again, having kind of the force over the baby and then the surrogate having the the rights over her body. So that's a a great uh, thing to mention, again, especially in that birthing process and understanding that so that way when you get to that point of delivery, there's no surprises. Um, Sarah, I'd love to hear from your side if there's anything else you'd like to add.
4: Yeah, I'm thinking of this from both kind of the intended parent side and the surrogate side and just the planning and the communication around all of that. And um, really for the surrogate, it's it's the birth process. But for the intended parents, it's also making sure that their wishes are incorporated into it, kind of really getting a big picture from each party, what everybody um, their ideal birth scenario is. And then looking at how they can make that happen and how it works together. Like an example that kind of comes to mind for me is during my surrogate births, the intended mom, um, on one of the pregnancies, it was very important for her to have that first skin to skin interaction. So. We knew that. We talked it through ahead of time. The nurses were great. They put a blanket down, laid baby, did the delayed cord clamping, and she was the first one to be able to have that skin-to-skin contact. And so just having those conversations, talking ahead of time, um, knowing the like comfort measures that the surrogate wants knowing the comfortability that the intended parents want or where they're most comfortable in the room maybe they want to just kind of stand up by the head maybe they want to come in right before pushing starts maybe they want to be in there the whole time but it it also is dependent on how the surrogate is feeling if their relationship is pretty close and um, if she wants people in her birthing space or not So I think just kind of talking through all of the ins and outs. And another thing that I think about with the planning is um, talking to intended parents if this is their first child and educating them and providing them with some information on some of the decisions that they may have to make in the hospital setting so they know about that in advance or recommending like classes or different things that
2: they could take
4: prior to just like you would maybe like with a birth client.
2: Yeah. Great points. Yeah. I, I love that example of the skin to skin, but every time you tell me that I always get chills. I mean, what a beautiful moment to be able to have that and sort of be able to give them that the entire medical staff to be able to give them that. Um, so great point, great example to say, this is something that you can really have an amazing impact on um, to make this entire birthing experience. Just really wonderful for both sides.
3: Along the same lines, um, there are wishes for feeding baby. Um, and not assuming that um, the GC will breastfeed or will yeah. want to breastfeed or will want to pump milk for the baby, like having very transparent conversations on what are both sides um, of the partnership prepared to do, comfortable doing. Um, and there, especially if the IP has given birth before, um, some have chosen to attempt to induce lactation. So. Pairing them up with the right folks that can help make facilitate that process in yeah. Great point. that discussion the day of birth.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Great point. And I think that actually kind of perfectly leads us to our next question, which talks about uh, when does the birth planning typically take place? And a lot of that has to be due to the idea of this breastfeeding pumping talking about what does that look like, you know, as far as shipping and how long do you maybe want to pump for all of those things. So, um, I will see Sarah, do you mind answering this one for us?
4: Sure. So I would say around like 28 to 32 weeks, um, is when that birth planning should take place just to make sure we have that communication going on, giving some people some time to think through their preferences. If they're making (laughs) decisions that they haven't, um, they weren't aware they'd be needing to make, so giving them some time to get some evidence-based information to them and kind of um, make those decisions and have that open dialogue. I know at Conceivabilities, we do a birth discussion. It's about a page long, and it just really hits on a lot of the high points of things that both the intended parents and surrogate need to consider within um, the birth.
3: Um, I perfect. Say- I'd say even starting the discussion for postpartum care for yeah. both parties. Um, I think folks take for granted that an IP family still needs substantial postpartum support just because their body didn't go through the delivery yeah. process doesn't mean that there's a lot of physical, emotional transitions that are happening.
2: Yeah, great point. Yeah. Um... Now let's go on to the next one, which is do intended parents typically attend the birth. So Kate, I'll go to you on this one.
5: Sure. Um, the answer is yes. And it is the best. Um, Mm. my husband and I were in the room cheering our surrogate on, um, my husband cut the umbilical cord and I immediately did skin to skin with our baby and then passed our baby to my husband for him to do skin to skin next. Um, And then we FaceTimed our families. Um, In our case, we were right in the room with our surrogate and her husband. We didn't move rooms. We stayed right there. And then our surrogate got to hold our baby. And we took a bunch of pictures together that we'll all cherish forever. Mm. (laughs) That's so sweet.
2: Uh, Giovanna, do you have any uh, feedback on that
3: question as well? Um, Yeah, I think, it it, again, it it depends on the the reasons why Mm -hmm. Um, and just being really Open about respecting what the intended parents want to do, and you know how how their journey got them to IVF, um, and then supporting them in the best way that that we can to make that a really healing process for them. Yeah.
4: Yes, I would say that they typically do, um, just kind of depending on the preferences. It just came to mind that like at conceivabilities or in a surrogacy arrangement, they're usually like talking about that pretty early on and what everybody's preferences are and try and match people with someone that has similar, like they would like to be in the room or, or not, um. I personally loved getting to see the parents, like with their meeting their baby, like it's just the most magical moment at the end of the journey where you get to see everything kind of come together. And, um, I happened to hire a birth photographer and a videographer for it. So I've got video and it's just really cool to be able to see it from the outside and and see the parents, um, on a couple of my birth grandparents got to come to the hospital, and just getting them to meet their grandchild is just like
2: the most incredible thing ever. That's really cool. So next up, we're going to talk about how did you address surrogacy with your spouse. So, uh, Sarah, let's go to you first.
4: Sure. So I researched surrogacy for about a year before I decided to become a surrogate, um, and I had young kids at the time and. I was researching it initially because I thought my sister might need a surrogate and then she didn't need one. And then I was like, I still really want to do this. This is really cool. Um, So just talking to them and explaining the, like, I'm not genetically related to baby and like, that it would basically be like being the oven and that I've had pretty easy pregnancies and just kind of talking about the process and, um, that helped the bring their mind at ease. And then for my kids, I read some books. Uh, my daughter was about seven at the time that I did the first surrogacy. So she was the only one that was kind of like, I would, we should just have a baby. don't have a baby for somebody else. So I found a lot of really nice videos online, like of people documenting their surrogacy journeys and showed those to my seven year old. And she was like, yeah, we should help a family. Like we should definitely do that. And, and then my youngest was about two at the time. And, uh, He went through like three journeys, pretty much back to back, the surrogate baby's age five, five, three and one. Um, So I feel like now he was just so factual about it. He'd tell strangers like, yeah, my mom's having a baby, but it's not mine. It's not ours. Like it's so-and-so's baby. Like we'd get strangers commenting like, oh, are you going to have a little brother? And he'd be like, nope, that's
2: so-and-so's. <laughs> Not ours. <laughs> Not ours. Yeah,
4: awesome. yeah.
2: Uh and Kate, what about you? What, from your side, how did you address surrogacy?
5: Yeah, so um I knew it was an option and I was already familiar with surrogacy, but um I didn't have to fully broach the subject with my husband because our fertility doctor at the time told us that he had a feeling that we would end up going the surrogacy route. Um, And I think that same scenario plays out for a lot of couples who have had long, complicated fertility journeys. Their Their doctors actually come to them as a couple and present the idea to them. Next question. Uh,
2: which is uh, what support do you wish you had in the birthing process?
5: Um, Kate, I'll start with you. <laughs> Our surrogate was ready to start pushing and I was trying to find a doctor or just someone to come into the room. Uh, but the team was in the middle of a meeting and they told us to just hold on. Um, so that was pretty nerve wracking for me, um, you know, given my past sort of trauma. Um, additionally, it, it would have been nice to have had someone else in the room with us just during the contractions and leading up to the birth. I felt like we're very alone in the room. and um, I was kind of just assuming that someone was monitoring the baby's heart rate from the nurse station. So it would have been nice for me to have had some some additional support during that period.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, what about the other ladies? Giovanna, do you have any kind of suggestions or things that you would have wished for? Yeah, I mean, my
3: doula was instrumental to my birthing experience. Um, Three-day prodromal labor, 27 hours of active labor. I know that our journey would have looked differently had she not been present with us. Yeah. Um, and I strongly, strongly recommend a postpartum doula for anybody that has a baby because you get a lot of support In pregnancy, and then you're handed a baby with no instruction manual. Right. Uh, You're like, are you sure you're letting me, like, (laughs) have to sign something or? (laughs) Right, right. Where do do I sign off that I'm okay to do this? Um, But but having a postpartum doula, I think, is so significant in the start of your parenting journey. Um, And are helping you navigate those complex first few weeks. So if I could do it all over again, I would definitely invest in a postpartum doula for myself.
2: Awesome. Sarah, what about you?
3: I would say so
4: for two of my pregnancies, I did not have a doula and then four of them, I did have doula support. And it's night and day difference. And as a surrogate, I think it's even more important to have that support, not only for the surrogate, but also for the intended parents, because you tend to forget like the intended parents, this might be their first experience and and they don't really know what to expect. Um, kind of combining a little bit from both of your stories. I had an, an experience with the last surrogate baby where um, baby was coming, doctor was nowhere to be found. Fortunately, there was a doula in the room. My intended mother was like freaking out like what do I like what do we do and um and the doula was there to say like it's okay a nurse can catch the baby like the baby if the baby comes it's gonna be everything's fine like take a breath and she was just like this calm peaceful presence for her and um just having that and having the communication piece the planning the education the comfort techniques like you being a surrogate in that situation you want to be able to be as comfortable as possible those
2: were fantastic already so thank you for that um let's go to the next one which is is surrogacy legal everywhere for everyone kate what is your answer
5: yeah so surrogacy is legal in every state except for three states and those are michigan louisiana and nebraska Um, so surrogates can be from any state where compensated surrogacy is legal Um, The laws vary from state to state, but if you have any additional questions, please feel free to reach out to Conceivabilities. Perfect.
2: Thank you for that. Um, We'll go to the next one. How can birth workers better prepare a hospital or a birthing center for a surrogate birth? Javon, I'd love to hear your take on this.
3: Yeah. So um, we talked about the birth planning process. I think it's super important to share a physical birth plan for both the um, GC and the IPs in advance with care providers, bring multiple copies to the hospital. I like putting it on the outside of the door because mm-hmm. we know that nurses get busy. And so whoever mm-hmm. we introduced ourselves to at the beginning of the day may not be who's with us when things move quickly. Um, so even having something with the visuals of, you know, pictures of everybody on the birth team and here's who they are and here's their preferred nouns, pronouns. Here's our wish list. It just helps not have to explain in the moment um, or have, you know, awkward conversations. Both the, all of the birth team can be present in their own needs without having to explain things.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great answer. And, And Kate, I think you may have had something else that you wanted to add.
5: Yeah. I mean, Giovanna really, really nailed it. Um, I mean, I would say, um, you know, just being mindful of the surrogates and intended parents triggers that we talked about and just making sure that everyone's physically comfortable um, and just advocating for everyone in that way.
2: Yeah, for sure. Sarah, did you have anything that you wanted to add? That
4: you can do ahead of time to like check in with the hospital staff and see what their policy at that particular hospital, I think is helpful. Um, Oftentimes they'll give the intended parents like another room. I know, um, but it kind of depends on how full the hospital is. So just checking in advance, letting them know ahead of time that it is a surrogate birth. Um, I know they had like a social worker that they referred us to that we were able to kind of talk through like the legal stuff that would happen at the hospital too. Uh, Cause we did have to sign like the post-birth order with the attorneys after birth. Um, and then we brought a copy of the orders and stuff. So they had that at the hospital too. Um, and then talking through, they talked to us about like hospital bracelets. So in ours, um, each parent got a bracelet I had a bracelet and baby had a bracelet. So they had to do some like additional stuff there. Um, And then they had their social worker was great as far as like helping fill out the birth certificate and making sure that we filled that out properly. Um, So those are some things to kind of think about ahead of time. And like, if you find out that the hospital doesn't have, won't let them have a room there, then they can help kind of coordinate Somewhere closer, maybe they will room together. It just kind of
2: depends. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, And then, last question Does the same doula work to support both the GC and the the attended parent? What are your thoughts on this one? Giovanna, do you have any thoughts on this?
3: That has not been my experience. Typically, um, the GC has her own and the IPs have their own. Um, You know, to to some of the points that were made earlier by both Kate and Sarah each, um, team or, you know, each dyad has their own neat set of needs. And so it's important that they're, they have a dedicated person that's taking care of their needs. If I were serving both and the IPs and I have to go to another room to, you mm-hmm. know, s- start singing the skin, then the GC would be left behind alone. And that's, that's unfair. So different needs.
2: Yeah. Sarah, Kate, any feedback on this one?
4: I just agree with Giovanna that it would be nice to have two or, or even a team, but I think it would be important for them to communicate well with each other and like about everybody's like still have a big group discussion. Okay,
2: perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, that is the end of our q and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to our panelists. Thank you for doing this. Yeah.
1: What a great podcast to learn from surrogacy professionals and women who have been on both sides of the surrogacy journey, both as an intended mother and as a three-time surrogate. So thank you all for listening and learning more about the surrogacy process. And be sure to check us out at conceivabilities.com to learn more about how you can build your family through surrogacy or how you can qualify to be a surrogate.
0: At Conceivabilities, we believe that everyone who wants to become a parent can Our agency has helped build thousands of families for over 25 years. Whether you are an intended parent ready to fulfill your family destiny, a surrogate answering your calling, or an egg donor wanting to expand what's possible in your life, we are your people. See how matching matters. Learn more by joining our Surrogacy Learning Center community at surrogacylearningcenter.conceivabilities.com.